We're closing our series on God of the Valleys. God can do anything on a mountaintop, and God can work powerfully in your valley, in your low, dark place. We're going to talk today as we close about a valley of fear or failure or faith. Failure or faith. Two groups of people were in the same place at the same time, saw the same thing, and walked away with entirely different responses. That's true in every church in the world, and that'll be true today across America. That'll be true today in this room. I hope you choose faith, not failure. William Wallace, or Braveheart, the great Scottish warrior, led a valiant rebellion against an oppressive English occupation of rape and brutality. This guy is innovative, he's got ingenuity, raw gut courage, and a brilliant gift of leadership. So Wallace enjoyed great success in the field, yet he died betrayed and deceived by his own Scottish nobles, not by the English army. Wallace's raggy band of patriots decimated the entire English armies of King Edward, who was called Longshanks. He even invaded England itself, sacking and burning several cities in the north. But what Longshanks couldn't win in war? Oh, he knew something. He gained by knowing human nature. So the secret of Edward Longshanks' victory over William Wallace was the devastating power of the comfort zone. By promising land and titles to the clan leaders, old Edward softened and seduced them into giving up Wallace. Oh, Edward knew that the number of people who would rather sacrifice and endure for freedom's sake are a tiny minority compared to the great host who chose personal advantage without risk. So he counted on the Scottish nobility to prefer comfort to battle and compromise to struggle, and boy, was he right. Wallace, like most brave and noble men and women, vastly overestimated the courage and nobility of those around him. If you think everybody around you is for you, I've got land to sell in the Sahara Desert. Comfort is seductive, whether it's a padded chair or whether it's fear of confrontation or it's taking a risk. And here in the Valley of Eshkel, a couple of guys discovered, discovered the power of the comfort zone. I'm going to read a good number of scripture verses from Numbers chapter 13. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 tribes. So Moses did like the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. Verse 17, Moses gave these men instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like. Find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. How are interest rates? What's the economy like? What's the price of gasoline? Well, I mean, it would be that for today. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls? Is Highway 281 still crowded? Are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. Now verse 23. When they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large it took two men to carry it on a pole between them. 
They also brought back samples of pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshkol, which means cluster, because of the cluster of grapes the Israelite men cut down there. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole assembly of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole crowd of Israelites what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and yeah, indeed, it's a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey, and here's some of the fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful. They have college educations, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, and the Mosquitoites live in the hill country. <laughs> the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. You can just sense the kind of the tension and panic. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go up at once and take the land, he said. We are well able to conquer it. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up there against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report, this evil report, about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. What are you thinking, thinking you can have a great future coming from our family? We don't have enough money. You'll never get into that school. Your GPA is not high enough. That's just from our family. Numbers 14, verse 1. Then the whole community started crying out loud. What a mess this must have been. Nearly 3 million people. And they cried all night, thumb-sucking, crying all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protests against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness. If I'd have been Moses, I'd have been saying, I wish to God you had died. <laughs> As a leader, I mean, that's, you can just imagine what's going on here. If only we had died in Egypt. They complained. Why is the Lord taking us into this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves. Let's choose a new pastor and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua and Caleb, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, I'm telling you, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, He will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of that land. They are helpless prey for us. King James says they are bread for us. You talk about the breakfast of champions, here it is. They are bread for us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Ah, but the whole church started to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. Wow, great story here. As Israel had crossed the Red Sea miraculously and had received the law at Mount Sinai and had moved down into the wide pasture land surrounding Mount Paran, they started to sense something of momentum with God that he was about to take them into their full inheritance, which was the promised land. Getting out of Egypt wasn't the full promise. 
the promised land was the promise. Now, God had promised the land. He had instructed 12 spies, scout out the land, and they did it for 40 days. They got the pillar of fire at night. They got a cloud by day. Every day, manna rained down from heaven for them to collect and eat. Water poured from a rock that followed them through the desert. It was a good life, and it was easy. Now they're poised at the brink of receiving their full inheritance God had promised them. And when you get there, you're going to have trouble. Just like it, because it's a test. All right? However, after affirming that the land was a good land, and it flowed with milk and honey, the ten spies gave an evil report. Israel was content to stay in the present rather than possess their future because it looked dangerous. It looked risky. Some of you older people that have a church background can remember the old hymn, Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on tables land. A higher plane than I have found, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Percy, you remember that one because you're old. Like me. Okay, I know. No matter where we are in our walk with God, He always has something more for us. Where you are now is not the finish line. God's got something higher, something better. But Israel had forgotten. They weren't just led out of Egypt. They were supposed to enter in to the promised land. But they, they felt the full plan of God was fulfilled when they got out of Egypt. See, a lot of people coming to Summit think this is the fulfilled plan. Are you kidding me? We got a, a children's building to build. We got a gymnasium to build. We've possessed some of the land. We haven't possessed all the land. But 75% of the people will come in and squat down comfortable in the present instead of possessing all that we had. My great fear is not Satan. My great fear is not cancer. My greatest fear is coming short of what God promised me. And I hope it's your biggest fear. I don't want to live this life and end it sucking about what could have been, might have been, should have been, because I was too afraid to face the challenge and believe that God would somehow, somehow take care of me. Deuteronomy 6, verse 23, says, God brought us out that He might bring us in to give us the land He swore to our fathers. Every great experience of blessing is a springboard to a new experience of depth and challenge with God. Never drive your tent pegs in too deep into any given experience. See, it's kind of sad, but it's true. Those leaders who oppose every new move of God were the leaders in the last move of God. Let me pause and say this. Even in this church or any church, it, we're part of the founders who, who had to possess the land when there was nothing. We had to do it. We fought the good fight to get us to this point. When the baton gets passed to the next generation, guess who'll gripe the most? Those who were leaders in getting here in the first place. Well, that's not how we did it. That's, I don't like that style. Well, I like the way we used to do it. And you just want to slap them. Because every new move of God, God's not different, but every, the way God leads us is different. He told Joshua when Moses died, now, as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you but I'm going to lead you in a different way you haven't been. So you see what I'm saying? And who will be the critics, those who got this far? But if we're going to get further, there will be a lot of changes that have to occur. Style, technique, music, government, all that begins to change. And boy, 
People love the comfort zone. They don't want to change. This is my seat. I've been in this seat for 10 years. I was here when we started. I can't believe somebody's in my seat. And you ruin your whole spirit because somebody got in your dumb seat. Give up your seat for people that aren't here. You know, that'll be your attitude. I'll move. You get down here real close, Rick will spit on you. Come on. I don't want to get stuck anywhere in my walk with God and pursuit of destiny so that I'm unable to receive anything else. Don't become a camper. Remain a climber and keep moving with God. Ask God for a revelation of your destiny, of your purpose in life. Okay, now here's the lesson. Why did Israel fail so miserably? A couple of reasons. Number one, they thought the giants were greater than their God. They thought their circumstance, their, their court hearing, their financial issue, they thought it was greater than their God. They overestimated the enemy. Question, is that true for you this morning? And something you're facing? You're giving the enemy too much credit? One of the great legends of the Texas Rangers concerns a Texas town that erupted into a riot. And as the death toll started to rise and destruction of private property mounted, the Texas Rangers were telegraphed. And they said, town in riot, many dead, send help. Well, the answer came back from Ranger headquarters. Help on tomorrow's train. And as the few arriving passengers stepped down from that train and hurried off to safety, the Citizens Welcoming Committee waited for sight of the Texas Rangers. Finally... The last guy got off, a single lanky ranger, his badge obvious against his blue shirt, and he stepped down from the train. And the committee said, you're alone? What can you do? We got a riot going on here, dude. And the rangers promised to send us help, not one man. And I love the ranger's response. It's classy. Uh, Folks, one riot, one ranger. Overestimation of the enemy destroys your faith, erodes your confidence, and warps your perspective. Always. Remember they said we were in our own sight grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. The enemy will see you the way you see you. If you see yourself as we be not able, that's exactly how the enemy will see you and treat you. Now, I'm aware of some extremes in faith. But let me make it perfectly clear from Scripture. The righteous shall live by faith, period. There is no mountain that can stand before you. There is no obstacle that's too big or evil enough or so powerful it can stop the plan of God for your life when you move by faith. Not possible. I read this this past week. In 1870, to catch the post-Civil War building boom, three men launched a house, fence, paint company. The problem was dozens of similar ventures started about the same time, and these three guys soon went bankrupt. Two of the men had had enough. They sold their shares to the third guy for almost nothing. The third guy was still convinced there was money to be made in paint. He began asking people, what would make you buy one brand of paint over another brand? And they all said the same thing. We, this is back then. We want to be able to mix and match colors. We want Uh, not just black, white, green, like the store sell. So he took that idea, not the paint, but the idea for a new way to sell paint, and he took it to the bank to ask for financing. The banker declined, saying, why get the bank involved in it? I'll put up the money personally. And that day, 
Two men, Mr. Sherwin and Mr. Williams, shook hands on a partnership that was destined to cover the earth. Sherwin Williams Paint, who would have known? Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things I cannot yet see. But Israel was looking at what they could see, and they saw giants, a high interest rate. I'm, I'm older, and the, I'm laid off from the company. How will I get a job? And the land was full of giants and walled cities. Your problem is not any bigger, not any worse. And the ten spies gave an evil report to Moses. Now listen, it was not an evil report because it wasn't true. Oh, it was true. It was an evil report because they overestimated the power of the enemy in the face of the promise of God, I have given you the land. And they let God's promise take a back seat to the enemy. Nothing will hinder your progress more with God than to look at a situation and say, I can't make it. We be not able. You know, biggest church in any town is We Be Not Able Christian Fellowship. <clears throat> Where do you go to church, Fred? Oh, I go to the biggest church in town. What's that? We Be Not Able Christian Fellowship? Really? You have to tithe? No, nah, man, we be not able. Yeah, you have to serve? No, we be not able. You have to forgive anybody? Oh, no, it's great. We be not able. You have to love people different than you? No, man, we be not able. Tastes great, less filling. It's true. We be not able. Don't you ever say that. We, years ago, we had a beautiful lady in this church, African-American, who was single, trying to make it in the corporate world. And I remember her telling me way years ago, uh, before we ever came here, I remember her telling me, it's going to be really hard for me as a minority woman, unmarried, to make it in a male, white-dominated corporate world. And I says, when you accepted Jesus Christ, you stepped out of your race into a spiritual new birth as a child of God. Now, there's no male-female, there's no bond or free, Jew or Gentile, in Christ Jesus. Therefore, you have God's favor around you. You are very smart, you are wise, you're an excellent communicator. You will have God's favor to open doors that nobody can shut and give you promotion when you seem least likely to get it. You got that as a covenant with Jesus Christ. And by the way, she did. And on she went, and she's doing it to this very day out of Houston, Texas, into corporate world. But she started off with a we be not able. Some of you live in a we be not able family. Some of you were raised in a we be not able neighborhood. Or you were raised in a kind of a background or a church where we be not able. We can't afford that. We can't. Don't you say that ever. I might not be able to buy something right now. But don't ever say we can't afford that. If I have to have it, if it's part of God's plan for my life and future, I will be able to afford it. I might not today, but I will be able to. But you're planting that seed in your kid's head. Don't you do that. No, no. I remember my grandfather and grandmother, great people, by the way. I owe a lot of Christianity to their example. But they were raised, they, they lost everything in the Depression and then came back afterwards and made it. But something in that Depression made them feel poor. And they never felt like they could... Uh, have enough. And all I remember when they were raising me is, Ricky, shut the door. Don't let the heat out. Cut the lights off. And to this day, I walk down the halls cutting off lights and closing doors 
But I remember when Cindy and I bought our first home, I put those two double doors, opened them wide, and we had the heat pumps going, and I just wanted to make a statement to the enemy. I am well able. And I pushed the door open instead of let the heat out and had all the lights in the house on. Not, be, not trying to be a bad steward, trying to overcome bad thinking. The most dangerous people in the world are people who got the closest to God's purpose and then backed away from it. And that makes you hard-hearted, bitter, and unbelieving. And they actually say, if not verbally, God's will is not worth the risk. Well, if that's true, we wouldn't be here today. We took a risk. You know, I, 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 I think about the things we faced, the challenges we faced, and I thought, we didn't get here by accident. We didn't get here by inheritance. We didn't get here because somebody funded us. It was a long journey from a hotel room. I remember the first, I'm having a good time and I'm burning up the clock. I'm sorry. We rented a hotel room for 150 bucks to start this church. $150. Okay, but that was $150 we didn't have. And I remember this old lady walked up to me afterwards. She said, now, Pastor, uh, uh, do we have a divorce recovery class? I said, lady, we just met today. I hope we get $150 to pay for this room. We ain't got 14 classes and departments yet. What a stupid question. I just hope we're alive for next week. Christians are sometimes just the squirreliest people you'll meet on planet Earth. Well, sorry for that. Israel overestimated the power of the enemy, and some of you will too. If you're supposed to go to college and mom and dad don't have the money, or mom's a single mom, I promise you there'll either be a scholarship, somebody will step in to help you, there'll be an opportunity, God will open some door to push you through that door. I promise you. Don't you say well, we can't afford it. You need to get going to school out of your mind, going to college out of your mind. And I hear people talk like that all the time. And remember, life and death are in the power of your tongue. You watch what you say. Learn Satan's tricks. When he roams around making noise and threats, keep your perspective. He's not a giant. He's not immutable. He's not immortal. He's created. He can only be in one place at one time. If the devil's at my house, he is not at your house. He's got a whole army of, of, of demonic forces, but he himself, like them, are created. Our God is omnipresent. He can be everywhere at the same time. So don't make the enemy a, a god or a giant. and Don't make your problem a giant. And you're not a grasshopper. You're a child of the Most High God. You have the promise of God in your hand. You go in and take the land. You are well able. Number two, second reason. Don't underestimate the power of God. Don't sell him short. Israel underestimated the strength of obeying God. Apparently, they had no memory of what he had done for them. The plagues on Egypt, parting the Red Sea, drowning the Egyptian army, manna every day, water from a rock every day. And it added up to zero, nada, in the face of giants. They forgot everything God did for them. If God brought you this far, he's not going to dump you. If he got you this far, he can get you as far as you need to go. And he wants you to, he wants you to predicate your faith based on what he's already done for you. If he did this, he can do that. If he, whip, if he can whip a lion, he can whip a bear. If he can whip a lion and a bear, he can whip a giant. 
You see how it's progressive? Don't let the light of yesterday's miracles in your life grow so dim that in today's darkness of circumstances you face, you underestimate the power of God. Joshua and Caleb were men of great faith who said, God has given us the land. The enemy is bred for us. The ten spies said, nevertheless, yeah, it's a good land, Joshua. Yeah, it's a place of fruitfulness. Yeah, it flows with milk and honey. Yeah, there's some beautiful homes there, just like God said. Nevertheless, we're not going in. Joshua and Caleb said, hey, we see the giants. We see the walled cities. We see the great people. Yet, and we see Amorites and Jebusites. Nevertheless, God has spoken and given that land to us. We are well able to take the land. If God has spoken, it doesn't matter what your obstacles are, period. The valley of faith is where you look beyond the problems and see the security that you have in who God is. It's not in who I am or who I know. It's who God is. And the greatest point of faith is not just hearing God and believing God. It is obeying God. And what I know is this. God will not glorify himself in our lives if we camp on where we are now. If we cling to what was done in the past, then we run the risk of missing all that God wants to do in us now. Don't let that happen. See, the good old days ain't that good. I don't want to go back to no air conditioning. I don't want to go back to a horse and a buggy. I tell people, I, want, I miss the good old days. What was good about the good old days? You want How far back you want to go? That time of the month for our ladies, they had to stay outside the camp for seven days. That might be a good idea. I don't know. I, uh, be a little more peaceful in the house, maybe. I ask people, see, you don't think it through. No. Get your high school annual. Some of you folks might get you and look at some of the people you thought were girlfriends or boyfriends. And thank God, nothing happened. <laughs> you say, what was I thinking? I'll just die if he leaves me. And I thought, well, where are all the bodies? I don't see them. Yeah. Good old days. And the good old days have hindered a lot of people from hearing God's call. Don't let your blessings become your curses. Fear of letting go of the good can keep you from laying hold of the best. Number three, the third reason, don't underestimate the future. Keep the vision fresh. Don't allow yourself to be distracted by the challenges you face on the way to receiving your promises. See, the goal, like Israel, is not fighting giants. That's not my goal. The goal is to receive the inheritance of God. When the enemy gets involved, we fight, we bind, we lose. But that's not my goal. My goal is getting to the purpose of God, his plan for my life or your life. That's the goal. If the enemy shows up, we fight. But I don't want to, my, my ministry is not one of fighting. My ministry is one of occupying and taking the land as God told us we were to do so. Underestimating your future can have another unfortunate result. Being slow to obey and missing the occasion of God. There is sometimes a limited window of opportunity in matters supernatural. And late obedience may open you up to the danger of delayed obedience. You know, when the Hebrews changed their mind and decided they now would go into Canaan after all, God ordered them not to. Well, they plunged in presumptuously anyway, and God punished them for that presumption, allowing them to lose a terrible battle with costly lessons. You can read about it in Numbers 14, verse 44. You know, sometimes when God impresses you to do something and you hang out a week or two, you miss, you miss the opportunity God had for you. 
Don't, I, that's not true on every single thing, but it's possible that when God speaks, you've got a limited time window there to receive the reward of obedience. Take it when God gives it. Don't wait until it's secure and it doesn't require any faith, right? So remember, His promises are much mightier and sweeter than you can imagine. You lose track of that and you lose, period. And by the way, if you need some boldness, hang around some bold people. Get into a home group with some gutsy people. They ought to scare you a little bit. They talk different. They approach a problem different. They pray different. You know, if you can catch fear, how come you can't catch, catch faith? Catch a little faith? Catch a little boldness? You hang around bold people, a little of it will get on you. And I'm going to tell you, some in this church need it. You're afraid to trust God with a nickel. You're afraid to yield your life to serving, to helping others. That's a sad thing. I think when God wipes away tears in heaven, it's because people see what could have been, what might have been, what should have been for their life. And they just sat comfortably and let it go by. And they missed it. My great fear is not Satan. My great fear would be coming short of what God wanted me to do. I don't want to let him down. You know, I don't, I'm not working to go. I got heaven made. I ain't working to go to heaven. But I'd like to know that for my little life or yours, that we did exactly what he made us to do. And we did it well. And we did it the best we could. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, in the same valley, one person finds failure, another shows faith. The story for those who failed, oh, it's terrible. Their names are never mentioned in the Bible again. Not one of them. Not one. Plagues, defeat, and death in the desert. And for 40 years, except for Joshua and Caleb, everybody 21 years of age, older, had to die in the wilderness. Not because of the devil, not because of giants, but because of their unbelief. They wouldn't believe God could deliver them. And so God says, okay, stay in the desert and die in a dry place. And for Joshua, I love that. Caleb and Joshua, the reward of their bold faith, came 40 years later when they alone of all Israel went in to take the land. Caleb claimed a land grant for himself and for his family according to God's promise. And what he chose was the area of Hebron. That's a high place. That was the land of the giants and the most difficult land to conquer. If you're in combat or military, you know the high ground is the most expensive to take. The enemy has an advantage. And so these visionaries like Caleb and Joshua are giant killers who have an instinct for challenge. They do. Visionary adventures head straight for Hebron and the giants while all the lightweights look for lazy boy chairs. Still true. There are people in this room right now and watching by live stream. God is challenging you about different disciplines in the Christian life. Challenging you about forgiveness. Challenging you about faith. Challenging you about tithing or giving or some aspect of giving. Challenging you about serving or obeying. I urge you, don't camp. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. If God is challenging you to move up or move on, or to obey him in a new way, go for it. Say with Joshua and Caleb, we are well able to take the land. Amen. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.